Hey everybody, I'm Andy Ostroy. Welcome to the Back Room. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. Can I say I love Dick Cheney? Is that okay? I'm sitting here with uh, our engineering team and my co-producer, Maddie Rosenberg and Jen Hamoud. Can, can, can I say I love Dick Cheney? Can I say I love Dick? I probably shouldn't say that, right? <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's taking it a little off in a whole other direction. But I, I do love Dick Cheney. I mean, as a dad, I have three daughters. And so I identify with him on so many levels. Um, obviously, he's very protective of his daughter. Um, but he's also protective of this country. And the whole Cheney thing is just... It's so surprising and surreal on so many levels that in 2022, we are literally sitting here on the precipice, possibly, of people in Wyoming getting rid of Liz Cheney because they love Donald Trump. I mean, that just makes absolutely no sense in a rational, sane world. Um... And I've had conversations with fellow Democrats and people who follow me on Twitter know that I've been very supportive of, of the congresswoman because I, I, I just got to say, I don't give a shit what her policies are, what her positions are. I mean, if, if we become a dictatorship, it doesn't matter who's pro-choice and who's pro-life. None of that matters. There's only one issue right now that matters, and that is holding those accountable who were criminally involved for the January 6th insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the government and turn us into a Trump-led autocracy or dictatorship. And she is one of two Republicans, notably, who are standing up with Democrats to defend this country and for people not be to be unable to sort of separate her views from what she's done in terms of putting her career and her life on the line to stand up not only to Trump, but to stand up for America and the rule of law and uh, the Constitution and ultimately our democracy uh, is just st 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 stunningly ignorant to me and small-minded. Um, I have personally been in touch with uh, Liz Cheney. Uh, I've communicated with her. And her team, and I'm trying to get her on our podcast sometime in the next two weeks before her August 16th uh, primary uh, because of what I just said, you know, and I want to talk with her about the campaign and how important that is. I want her to win, and I'm not ashamed to say that. And I think people who 
just take the opposite position are just incredibly uh, uh, myopic, really missing the big picture. There is a big picture here. Okay, you know, you grow up, you hear this term big picture your whole life. The big picture, the big picture. The big picture is saving our democracy. Okay, so nothing, nothing else matters. And I've said this to other people many times. Uh, maybe I've said it on the podcast, but like if somebody robs your house and smacks your kids, and then a week later you're in a dark alley getting the shit beaten out of you by five guys, and that same robber happens to walk by and offers to help you, you're not going to say, hey, I don't want your help because you robbed my house last week and slapped my kids. You're going to deal with that later. That's what we're talking about here. She's in a dark alley with us fighting against thugs to save our democracy. And we owe her a debt of gratitude. Whether she wins or loses in two weeks, it doesn't matter. The, the history books are going to reflect her heroism and her patriotism, her selflessness, uh, which doesn't seem to be uh, popular these days. Uh, people, uh, you know, especially in politics, seem to be incredibly selfish, and she's not. So um, I'd love to get her on to uh, talk about her campaign and also uh, the work she's doing on the J6 committee. And so hopefully that'll happen in the next couple of weeks. Um, Donald Trump seems to, with each day that passes, seems to be in uh, a... Just a boatload of trouble. You know, so much has happened this week. And, and I got to say, by the way, I was away for a bunch of days. My son, Sean, got married uh, to his lovely bride, Nina, in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. It was unbelievable. Uh, the only part that's uh, that wasn't unbelievable is uh, the fact that Mr. Montezuma stowed away in my luggage. <laughs> and so this week has been a little interesting. Um Gastro, uh, enter, what, enterologically, what, what would be the word? You got it. Okay. So I think you get the point on that. But it was great, and uh, it was my third child to get married, and uh, it was just incredible. And so, but so much else has happened this week. We, we can't cover it all, but um, uh, Trump lawyers are now advising their client that it's likely he's going to be indicted. And this is something I've been saying for a long time, and uh, I think we're seeing the, the, to quote Spiro Agnew, the negative nabobs of negative, the, the nattering nabobs of negativity uh, on Twitter and in the media and elsewhere uh, who've been frustrated that uh, Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice seemingly wasn't investigating Trump and he's never going to be indicted and he's not going to be held accountable, blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, that chorus has pretty much silenced from what I can see because every single day it looks more and more like he is going to get indicted. Um, further evidence of that is that his former uh, White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, uh, is going to be uh, subpoenaed or is subpoenaed by the grand jury, the federal grand jury. And so once you get beyond the, the 800 indictments and convictions and whatever from the people on the ground, you know, when you start bringing in people like Cipollone, who are now above that and close to the Oval Office, it's clear that Trump is being investigated. And it's going to be very hard, I keep saying this over and over again, very hard to imagine that he won't be indicted with everything we, we see and hear and now know. Um, Alex Jones, or should I say Alex Jones? Alex Jones, who is, who's a bigger pig in this world than Alex Jones? I mean, what a sexist, racist piece of shit, huh? That guy was just uh, uh, 
he was uh, in his trial against the, uh, um, the lawsuit filed by the Sandy Hook parents. I think Scar- Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, uh, their son Jesse, was killed in the in the mass shooting ten years ago. They filed a suit against him because he basically said Sandy Hook didn't happen; it was all fake. And then he would go on and tell his millions of listeners over and over and over again that it was all fake. Well, great. They sued him and they won. And a jury just awarded them $4 million in compensatory damages. Uh, There's going to be another little trial that's happening right now where they're going to decide on punitive damages. Punitive damages is where um, a court finds that the defendant's behavior is especially offensive. And uh, I think we can say in this case... uh, and hopefully that that award is going to be incredibly high. Now the question is whether he can, you know, afford it or not. How much money does he have? He's been filing for bankruptcy with his uh, his company, um, uh, Free Speech Systems. And uh, but interestingly, Free Speech Systems uh, he pulled out sixty two million dollars in the last two years. So yeah, they have no assets, but he's got them. So. Uh, and then the other thing, too, is uh, that they've requested his texts for the last two years. And he was a, you know, I, I don't know if I want to say he was an architect of J6, but he was certainly in the room with all the architects from Roger Stone, everybody else. So um, that could be a real smoking gun when they take a look at what's in there and what his involvement has been. And in particular, and more importantly, who his involvement was with and what they knew and what they uh, orchestrated. Um, This morning, uh, I walked over here and I was listening to uh, the news and there was a jobs report that came out, 528,000 new jobs, which is twice what uh, the economists had predicted. And I got to say, the Great Recession of 2022... Uh, it's a, it's a doozy. I mean, think about the recession we're in right now. There's been almost a million jobs created in the last two months. Uh, the airline industry, the travel industry is having record success. Um, restaurants, clubs, everything is full. People are having a great time. Retail sales are up. Spending is up. Confidence is up. And so we're in a recession, right? Does it feel like a recession to you guys? Jen bought a bracelet, so I think that's the answer to that question. Um, did you buy it at Harry Winston, or did you? No, is it a Target bracelet? Like what? Uh huh. Okay. All right. Shout out to Zephyr. Zephyr. Um. So there, I think the 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 idea of recession is dead. There is no recession happening. You can't have a recession and five hundred twenty eight thousand jobs created. And I'm not an economist, but in terms of inflation, which seems to be the, the 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room or elephant. Is it elephant or gorilla or both? Elephant. elephant. What's the gorilla? 800 pounds? I thought it was a gorilla. Okay, so you can use it one. Um, so, yeah, inflation, it's horrible, and it's around 8 or 9%, and people are upset because milk and eggs and gas and everything is, is expensive. But... There, that could largely be due to the supply chain issue and how, on a temporary basis, that jacked up prices. So, depending on who you talk to, this fall and second half of 2022 could be really robust because if you strip out inflation, 
I mean, it sounds like our economy is booming. So there's that. Um, the, um, the interesting news overnight as well is that uh, Democrats convinced Kristen, Kirsten Sinema, I always screw up her name. Kristen, anybody named Kristen, Kirsten, Kirsten, like I, if your name is one of those three, like I don't even want to know you because I'm never going to get your name right. Kirsten Cinema, and then also like her last name. Can't you spell it like everybody else with a C? You're not expecting her to be on the show. No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about her name. That's all I want to talk about is her name. Like why, was she born with that name or... Um, so she signed off on, on the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, another major accomplishment uh, that's going to go in Joe Biden's hat, which, of course, will drive his approval down even further because that's what's happening this year. The, the more he does and the greater the economy, et cetera, et cetera, the worse his approval ratings are. Not as high as Trump's, by the way, because maybe people do like the idea of injecting bleach into their bodies. Um so the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, it basically increases taxes on corporations, provides for greater health care access, and provides new spending to mitigate climate change. Chuck Schumer, who uh, probably has to be really tired of dealing with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, he said in a statement, quote, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 will make a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation invest in domestic energy production and manufacturing, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. Uh, the bill will finally allow Medicare to negotiate for prescription drugs and lower health care costs for millions of Americans. And additionally, we have reached agreement with Biden and Pelosi to pass comprehensive, uh, comprehensive permitting reform legislation before the end of this fiscal year. And he urges all senators to vote for it. I mean, this is a massive bill. It's like the biggest amount of money spent on climate ever um it's amazing and what they had to give up to cinema was the uh carried interest provision in the, in the tax law which out of a bazillion dollar bill i think amounts to like 15 billion dollars so it's really nothing they gave up uh and for those of you uh who don't know what the carried interest uh, provision or loophole is it's just pretty much where hedge fund guys get to make a lot of money like capital gains and stuff, and they get taxed at a much lower rate than it would be uh, for earned income. Kansas. There's a moment where I thought Mitch McConnell must be standing with uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McConnell and literally looking at each other and saying, well, looks like we're not in Kansas anymore. Because if you're a Republican or you're a conservative or, or you're a pro-lifer, Kansas was not your friend this week. And there's just so much. I mean, we could do a whole uh, episode on what happened in Kansas. But if you can't get people to be pro-life at the polls in Kansas, then you ain't getting them anywhere. And so I'm sure McConnell hasn't slept much and McC uh, McCarthy hasn't slept much uh, since Tuesday because this is, this is astonishing and just huge in terms of its impact um, in the rest of the country and, and in November. You know, everybody was talking about, you know, November, oh, Democrats are going to lose and the House is going to go to Republicans. I mean, I tweeted in May, the beginning of May, that uh, I don't care about conventional wisdom right now because everything, literally everything in the last six years has defied, utterly defied conventional wisdom. And now, all of a sudden, this notion that Republicans are going to win the House, 
not such a sure thing anymore. Okay, because if if women, suburban women, men, independents, moderates, if Roe, if the overturning of Roe v. Wade turns out to be what I and a lot of people think it's going to be, um, I mean, just look at the voter turnout in Kansas. It was like fifty percent versus like thirty five estimate estimated. Um, if that kind of wave spreads across the country uh, in November, on November eighth, in terms of of uh, the House elections and, and Senate elections, Democrats could easily pick up seats in both both chambers. And so this was huge. It it sort of reaffirms the the thinking that you know the polling two thirds of America supports Roe v. Wade and didn't want it overturned. Um, you know, women are just tired of men, right, telling them what to do with their you know vajijis, I guess, and. If I had a Vijiji, and I don't, I have an on, you know, with three daughters, I'm like an honorary woman in my mind. So I'm very sensitive to the needs and rights of women and all people. But like, I don't care politically who you are. If you're a woman and this doesn't just piss the shit out of you, like, and you don't go into the polls in November and say, get to stay out of my pants, like, versus inflation like can you imagine like a woman any woman or a man married to a woman or a man as a mother and sisters or anybody with a half a brain and a, and a, and a desire to have privacy and rights who who thinks in inflation is is more damaging to this country than taking away people's rights because once they start with roe then it's con- uh, contraception and gay marriage and interracial marriage and god knows what so i'd happily continue to pay a little more money for eggs and milk and gas if the women in my life and the people in my life had the rights that they deserve the inalienable rights that republicans want to take away from them so keep an eye on what happened in kansas see if what if that's going to you know there are going to be other referendums in other states and how how uh that's going to go, but I think Kansas is a real bellwether in terms of what we can expect uh, nationwide. And then the last thing I want to get to um, is uh, Tuesday's elections. Real quick, without getting too much in the weeds, everybody was like, all right, what's going to happen with the Trump freaks and the moderates? And it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, it depends on what state. You know, there was Michigan and Arizona and Missouri and elsewhere the the kansas referendum um democrats put up money to bolster the chances of the freaks winning uh they got lucky some places like with uh, john gibbs in uh, western michigan um trump was very successful in arizona Uh, i think we're still waiting on the on the uh carry lake results and i realized last night that carry lake has blocked me on Twitter, which made my night. Anytime I can just just tangibly know that I've gotten under the skin of a Trumpster, that's very satisfying. Not as satisfying as back in the day when Don Sr., Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric all blocked me. Um, that was really a, like a badge of honor for me. Um, because to, to, to know that... The nonsense that I tweet got to them and it upset them. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're going to block Andy Ostroy. <laughs> like, 
okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, that my name was somehow on some level, like in the Oval Office with the Trumps. All right, I'll take that. Um, so I don't know if we can, I don't know, Maddie, maybe you or Jen, you have a sense of what happened Tuesday in terms of what, how you can read into what's going to happen in November. But it didn't, didn't seem like we got anything out of it that truly uh, is a real indicator. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. And I, I do think the Democrats have to be careful what they wish for when you support a nut job, because a nut job could also win. Yes, we've seen that. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a history. So you're saying not, it's a, a, risky a risky strategy. Hmm. A really risky strategy. Yeah, Democrats, you should, Jamie Harrison, you should, you should at the DNC, you should uh, take note because they could win. And uh, if they do, it will be not not a win this time for this primary. It'll be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> on some level, I get it. It's like you're going to run against someone. Why not run against the one you think you could beat? And if that person is someone you can then support financially to increase that chance, great. But on the other hand, there's something incredibly hypocritical about saying if this person gets elected, our democracy is in peril, and then you're sending checks <laughs> to support them. Uh, I mean, just think think about 2016 when there were a lot of Democrats who thought Trump was a fantastic candidate to run against. Yeah, and look how that ended up. <laughs> oh, man, we're still talking about fucking Trump. Isn't that just amazing? Here we are, six years, two impeachments, pussy grabbing i'm in love with kim jong-un like just go down the line and and he's still here still viable we're waiting for his announcement to run again like i don't know it just seems like the world is truly upside down yeah he occupies our minds more than anyone yeah. in history what a shame yeah. what a shame and i'm mean, gonna circle back to liz cheney like the 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 Further proof that the world is upside down is that I love the Cheneys. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I love the Cheneys. Yeah, absolutely. I don't love their policies. All right, before you start uh, sending us emails and ridiculous messages, uh, I don't love the policies. I love the defense of democracy. Okay, that's all we got uh, before we get into our interview. I am truly excited about uh, our guest today. She is uh, Nikki Freed. Uh, she is currently the Secretary of Agriculture in Florida, and she's campaigning to be the first female governor of that state. She faces off August 23rd in the Democratic primary against former governor and current Congressman Charlie Crist, uh, he of the very white hair persuasion, um, also very white persuasion. And he's a former Republican. I think he switched about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, by and large, I can live with someone like Charlie Crist compared to the lunatics today. But uh, I think uh, Florida definitely needs a, a, a governor like Nikki Freed. She's a former uh, public defender. She's a child welfare and LGBTQ rights champion and marijuana legalization and clean water advocate. Nikki Freed, welcome into the back room. Well, thanks for having me. Likewise. So my first question is, uh, right now, politics seems just utterly toxic and insane. And as Secretary of Agriculture, you know, it's a pretty like, you know, safe-ish 
you know, you're not in the boxing ring the way you have now entered. Like what, what has made you decide to sort of leave that semi-state of normalcy to jump into the chaos and run for governor in Florida? You know, I get asked that question quite a few times a day. <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, um, we need good leaders. We need people that actually care about the people. And regardless of what side of the political spectrum you are, right now our, our, our country has, and our state has become so polarized. And so if we don't let people that are, are willing to step up to the plate, willing to say, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's about the people. Um, and if we don't have good people running for office, then the extremes win. And nothing gets accomplished. And so I wake up every single day saying, what can I do for the people of our state? What can I do to help to make sure um, that we are looking forward to making sure people's rent is lower, making sure the affordability crisis is under control? And if I'm not willing to do this and willing to put myself out there, I'm afraid of the outcome for you know people that are not so um, open hearted of what is. And so that's a very, a very selfless explanation and good one and one I personally uh, subscribe to myself because that's what politics is and that's what serving is you, you know you, you can't look at it as anything but just sacrificing all that you can do outside of po politics to be in politics what so give us the highlights in terms of what makes you think you are uh, best prepared to serve as governor Look, I have been in the trenches for three and a half years I have been running a department uh, that has 4600 employees. I have a department that is uh, oversees $1.9 billion, um, 19 divisions, and is one of the largest agencies and departments in the entire state. It's a mini governor's office. It's larger than any other Department of Agriculture in the entire state, a member of the Florida cabinet, a member of the clemency board. Um, so full well know that um, we are ready day one, understand all of the nuances of the budget of the executive offices, and know that somebody like myself who has been not only an elected statewide officer, but my time as a past public defender, um, managing an agency, managing a division at the public defender's office, um, has gotten me ready for, for this job. And I've been um, prepared, preparing for this my whole life, my time back even in high school, when I was doing community service hours and running organizations back in high school, um, to being student body president at the entire University of Florida. I am ready for this position, I'm ready for this job, and on day mm -hmm. one, ready to So your state, Florida, just it it seems crazy now like it it never was this crazy and and what i'm about to say i i say as a fellow jew to me growing up the craziest thing about florida was like the old jews going to dinner at three o'clock like that was as crazy as florida would ever get <laughs> now there's like a whole other like next level of craziness and and you know obviously that starts and perhaps stops with desantis and his crew but there was a moment where, like, everyone was saying, Florida's flipping blue, it's going to be blue, blah, blah, blah. And over the last several years, it has gone so far to the right and almost become this, like, little, you know, petri dish of neo-fascism and, and seems to be getting worse every day. So my question is, what, what happened to Florida? When did it take a turn? Why did it take that turn? And, and is, it, is it ever going to turn the other way? First of all, it's definitely going to turn the other way. And everybody has to remember, I just won in 2018 um, as commissioner of agriculture, a position that Democrats haven't taken in decades. A female has never been even elected to this position. Um, so 
this state is not red. It's just a lot, so much of the narrative, so much of the rhetoric that is out there. Um, the fact is Ron DeSantis only won by 33,000 votes out of 22 million Floridians. Um, so the fact is that he's making the headlines. He's controlling the narrative on the national level, on the state level. So that's what people are thinking. Um, but at the end of the day, he has gone so extreme and has, the pendulum has gone so far right that it only can come back because you're right. Um, you know, I grew up here. My parents grew up here and things were never like this. You never saw the polarization. You never saw neighbors not willing to talk to each other because of who they support in the upcoming election or whether you're on one side of these culture wars or you're on the other. And so what this has come is not that the state has become more red, but the rhetoric from Ron DeSantis has become louder and more entrenched and more divisiveness that people are taking sides. But just like what you saw in Kansas, the silent majority is still here. And every day that I'm talking to people on the ground, they're so tired of all of this. They're so tired of the anger. I mean, I'm sure you saw yesterday, he suspended a state attorney here in the state of Florida, somebody who has been elected twice, somebody who is a leader in, in his county. Um, this is not um, indicative of, of who we are as Floridians. And I can tell you that as I've talked through, you know, to, to elected officials, to, to people on the ground, I keep saying that when you cut off the head of a snake, which is Ron DeSantis, everybody goes back to normality. And that's exactly what's gonna happen as we start actually um, the season right now to, to go after pythons. I think python hunting started today. So that's kind of how I also look at it. You cut off the head of the snake, the rest of the snake dies. And yeah, and I definitely wanna to get to, to the DeSantis in, in a little bit and we're gonna do that. Um, you know, if a state is not red and it's not blue, that means it's purple. So would you say Florida is a purple state? Because it doesn't—it certainly doesn't feel that way. I do. So. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way because the radical right are so loud um, and are so, uh, you know, getting into people's faces and they're showing the anger. And I've talked to Democrats and, and independents, too, that feel like I can't voice my opinions because my neighbors may actually come and yell at me um, or I can't put a sign on my door because I'm afraid uh, of somebody coming and vandalizing my home. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of that just aggression that's coming from the radical right. You're not seeing it from the rest of the state. Um, so the state is still purple. While the Republicans right now have a little bit of voter advantage as far as the um, those that have been registered to vote, but the independents in our state is still close to almost one third of those that are registered. And those are the ones that actually make or break an election, whether they break to the right or break to the left. Um, is really how now you're you're right, this. and in 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 a lot of what you're saying, and in in fairness to Florida, <clears throat> the the divisiveness and the toxicity that you speak of <clears throat> is you know prevalent throughout the country. It's not just Florida, but interestingly, like, and, and I'm trying to remember from the last or recent elections, but like date Miami Dade, like that's been not predictable in terms of t turnout and how they voted. And so, you, you, you know, we see little, little, mo you know, moving of needles like that, that make us question, is it really a purple state or is it moving more and more to the red? Um, but I want to ask you, uh, the in, in your, as someone running for governor, what are, what are the key issues 
for Florida right now. Um, I know you've uh, you speak a lot about the affordability crisis and rising rents and property insurance and so forth, gun reforms, et cetera. But what what do you see as the big issues right now? Yeah, you know, just to kind of go off really quickly on what you were just saying too, is dealing with Miami Dade. I also want to put things into a little bit of a perspective for 2020. You know, because we saw. Yes, Miami moved. And I'm from, born and raised in Miami, so I understand the culture of Miami. I understand the complexities of Miami. But what you saw in 2020, that the Biden campaign wasn't here. We had bare minimum resources. There wasn't a, a, you know, with Mm -hmm. middle COVID, there wasn't a lot of door knocking. There wasn't a a lot of, of that, you know, on the ground, whereas Trump spent a lot of time here, spent a lot of money and resources. There was a lot of just attention and lies into the Hispanic community about socialism. And so there was no, no, there was no democratic response. The democratic response was, no, we're not. Well, that's not really a a good enough response. So that's why you saw um, Miami-Dade, you know, go a little bit redder than than normal and why you saw, you know, a 3% loss for President Biden. And again, looking at those numbers, it was only 3%. When, when in fact, if you look at the totality with the amount of money that was spent from the Biden campaign versus the Trump campaign, the fact that it was only 3% um, should also be, be highlighted. But as far as issues that are on the ground, I look, I'm talking to people all over our state from Key West to all the way up to, to the panhandle. And the issues are pretty consistent, whether you're talking to Democrats, Republicans, or independents. The issue number one is affordability. The housing market is in a dire strait, whether it is rent increases, some areas 60% or higher, um, the fact that our property insurance um, is through the roof. We've got a property you know, uh, industry that's a, on the verge of co- complete collapsing, um, that more and more companies are either being downgraded or going insolvent. Um, so the affordability, people can't afford their gas, people can't afford their just overall. The second is education, um, because for twofold. One, we know that we've got a teacher shortage across our state, almost 9,000 teacher shortage while we're about to start the school year. Um, we have been severely underfunded. Right now, Florida is 49th in the nation when it comes to education funding. 49th, but yet the third largest GDP. Our teachers aren't being paid enough. We don't have schools that are being built right by, in their communities. The schools are not being updated. Um, and then, of course, you've got the culture wars that DeSantis has put into our classroom. So you created the, this, this bubbling up impact of what's happening in our school system. And the third issue that I'm hearing on the ground more than anything else, besides affordability, is our women's right to choose. Um, the Roe v. Wade situation is really coming to a head here in our state with the 15-week abortion ban, knowing that Ron DeSantis wants to go further. Um, this is a main concern because we also know that based on the Supreme Court decision of Dobbs, that they laid out a game plan, that it's not just you know women's reproductive health care. It's potentially re- um, you know contraceptives. It's potentially LGBTQ+. You know, and so all of those things are really making people in, on our state very tense, um, very nervous, but mobilizing mm-hmm. people together. And so goals. with Roe v. Wade and, and Florida in particular, uh, back in the spring with HB5, which DeSantis signed, uh, which is the 15-week uh, abortion ban, um, which I think a judge overturned uh, or uh, halted the ban uh, early last month, right? So where do we, where is that, where does that stand? Because I, I think, uh, what is it, Article 1, Section 23 of the Florida Constitution states, quote, every natural person has the right to be let alone and free from governmental intrusion into the person's private life, except as otherwise provided herein. Now, in previous rulings, Florida Supreme Court found the right to abortion within that right to privacy 
Uh, and then in the Leon County Circuit Court Judge uh, John Cooper blocked that ban last month on the same privacy grounds, although we've seen the Supreme Court kind of rule the opposite with Dobbs. And so where does all that stand going forwards with regard to Florida and, and DeSantis's ban? So, so there are two lawsuits that are pending, one dealing with that right to privacy um, and another one that is dealing with religious freedoms. Um, because again, you know, you and I are both being Jewish, you know, what we're always taught is that life begins at breath. And, and so now you're talking about a religious situation as well. Um, so right now, the, the attorney general of our state has asked for this all to be expedited and to, for the Supreme Court to actually take up the case immediately. Um, and so right now, 15 weeks is the law of the land. Um, and we are waiting for the Supreme Court to decide whether or not they're going to wait for the appellate process or they're actually going to just skip right above it and, and take up the case in the Supreme Court. My gut, though, says this, that we have a very extremist Supreme Court right now, um, including two Supreme Court justices, including the chief judge that was appointed by my primary opponent um, and others that were support that were um, put on there by Ron DeSantis. And this Supreme Court um, has consistently ruled keeping constitutional amendments off the ballot, mm -hmm. such as a ban on abortion, a ban on assault weapons, um, medical mar marijuana expansion and legalization, um, getting rid of the congressional districts, the black to black congressional district maps. Um, and so my gut tells me that we as women are going to lose um, that protection from that from that constitution. Yeah, amendment. it's just and so I was going to ask you if you think there's a, a Kansas like ballot referendum in Florida's future, but it sounds like because of the composition of the state the supreme court in that state that that's not likely well i have said um that this is one of my priorities as governor is to put the full weight of the governor's office behind a constitutional amendment i've already started talking to legal counsel this week to start drafting mm -hmm. um the proposed language but what the republicans have been doing um for for years at this point have been making it harder and harder to put citizens initiatives on the ballot um changing the dates of when the, the signatures need to be done how to collect signatures the cost of collecting the signatures um, the amount that needs to be done, increasing that threshold to 60 plus percent in order to get it over the threshold. Um, and of course, you've got a very conservative Supreme Court that continues to find that one little nuance that they hold their hat on to kick it off the ballot. Um, but I know that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that that constitutional amendment is ironclad, that we get the signatures in time. There'll be so much money that will flow into our state to create that, to create the money that's necessary to get the signatures and that we're going to fight. Um, we are certainly going to fight. And at the end of the day, um, we just need people registered to vote and to understand that this November, that our freedoms, abortion rights are on the ballot. And it's a referendum. Absolutely. So before you get to that point, you've got to get past August 23rd, which is your primary. And you're running against uh, Charlie Crist, another <clears throat> rich, old white man. <laughs> Politics seems to be, uh, you know, full of him and his ilk uh he's a former republican 10 years ago he switched parties you know reasonably moderate you know by comparison to the crackpots that are out there today but um what are the key differences between you two that you think really make the distinction for all voters as to why your candidacy is so much more uh important and will benefit floridians more than than his well, first, first, first of all, you just out, you just laid it all out. Um, you know, the fact is that he was 
um, a Republican when he was attorney general, Republican when he was commissioner of education, Republican when he was a senator, Republican when he was governor. The decisions that he made when he was in those elected positions are issues that we are dealing with today. And, and Charlie wants to right now, you know, rewrite history and say, none of that really mattered. None of that. This is who I am today. Well, we can't trust that that's who he is today because he might get there and become somebody else again. Uh, when he's got, you know, he led during a time when you had Republican legislature and you're going to have a Republican legislature now. What tells voters that he's not going to look, this is really hard. These Republicans, I've got a lot of power in the legislature. I may just need to side mm -hmm. with them in order to get things accomplished. That's not what we need. We need somebody who is a true fighter, somebody who has been consistent on their policies their whole life, um, somebody that doesn't have this type of baggage. Um, because look, we just talked about the Supreme Court. Today, the chief judge of the Supreme Court that is going to take away my right to privacy was appointed by Charlie. He has to be held accountable to those issues. And, and at the end of the day, Charlie has run for office seven times, seven times, and losing three of those times as a, as a Republican, as an independent, and as a Democrat. This is not a time where we can hope that this is a different outcome. We need to make sure that we put somebody in there who has the chance to actually win. Charlie will give the largest defeat to Democrats if he ends up being the nominee, and we have to win. So as the only one who's been able to win as a, as, as a Democrat, the only one who's been consistent on her policies, somebody who's in the trenches fighting every single day for what is right. Um, I don't placate. Um, I answer questions. Um, you can watch any of Charlie's interviews, and, and I don't even know what he says half the time um, because he tries to go in and out. People are tired of career politicians. People are tired of somebody getting up and saying, oh, which way should the wind blow today of where I am on a decision? They need consistent leadership. So he just sent out a mailer in which he accused you of being, uh, quote, a Republican lobbyist and uh, pals with accused sex trafficker and truly despicable subhuman Matt Gates. Your response? <laughs> uh, my response is Charlie's desperate. desperate. Um, you don't put out that type of mailer and spend a lot of money um, if you aren't losing. Um, and so, look, at the end of the day, he knows that I'm not friends with Matt Gates. I have said that on more interviews and more in situations that I know Matt. Of course, we all know Matt. We all, you know, we all were in Tallahassee together. Like I would, everybody knows I was a government consultant. Of course, I know Matt. And of course, I came from the marijuana industry. But at the end, what his actions are, are despicable, are deplorable. Um, I don't talk to Matt. I don't support Matt. Um, and so for Charlie to, to make these false accusations when he know that they are not accurate. And, and, and the other thing is, when I was a government consultant, my main issues that I campaigned on, that I, that I worked on and I campaigned on, is the fact I fought for our foster care kids. Got one of the greatest pieces of legislation to protect our foster kids in 2014. I fought for the expansion of medical marijuana. I fought for our schools when I was representing Broward School Board. Anything less than that is a complete lie. Um, and a complete fabrication because of course. So Charlie in response to that, that, your your spokesperson, uh, Carolyn Corber, uh, is quoted as saying, Charlie Crist, a self-described pro-life man, is photoshopping fake GOP signs on the only statewide elected Democrat and calling her a Republican lobbyist in mail. It's time for any woman who endorsed Charlie Crist's campaign to speak up, disown him, and reject his lies about supporting women and women's health. He is a fraud, a coward, and a three-time, about-to-be-four-time loser. Man, you guys don't pull any punches. No, we don't. Mm -hmm. We speak truth, you know, truth to power, um, because it's true. 
I mean, that the, the flyer is, is made up photos. And I go back to, he took photos of, of people that I've known since college. Um, are we not allowed to, to have like people that we are friends with? Um, doesn't mean I support their policies. Um, I can't show you, I mean, how many pictures has, has Charlie Chris taken with Donald Trump, Sarah Palin, um, Scott Rossi, and he named the amount of pictures that Charlie has taken with Republicans um, that uh, of those likes. So it, 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 I mean, it's remarkable that, that Charlie wants to even say, um, I've been anything less than a devout Democrat, um, everything that I have fought for. Um, and, and, you know, as I was in college, was uh, fighting for, for women's rights to choose and fighting for women in leadership positions. Charlie was a Republican Senator um, holding up chains to put more black and brown people uh, in prison and chaining them up, which is uh, inhumane. You've called Ron DeSantis, quote, an authoritarian, authoritarian dictator who is borderline fascist. My only question to you is borderline? You're just trying yeah, to be I'm nice. Yeah, the word borderline these days. I think I called... Uh, I, I was I was trying to right be nice for a little bit, but um, I, I actually had a press conference earlier today where I just went all in. Um, he is a dictator. He is fascist, um, and, and he's a tyrant. And 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 every single action that he has taken, it shows that. You know, I first said this in 2020. I was the first person to call him a wannabe dictator, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, did you just call the governor of the state of Florida a dictator?" And in 2020, this is when I said this. And unfortunately, every single day, he continues to back up those claims um, between taking power away from our local governments, stripping elected officials out of their offices because mm -hmm. they don't agree with his positions, um, taking away power from the cabinet, taking power away from the legislature, taking power away from the courts, consolidating power, taking away people's rights to vote, uh, freedom of speech. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and I need the people of our state and our country to wake up. This is the most dangerous guide to democracy than we have seen in American uh, most recent history of, of our nation. And, and this is somebody that everybody needs to be on guard with. If you dare cross him, he's going to take you away from power. He is going to have revenge. That is what you see in the Latin American countries and what's what you see in Russia and other countries that have dictators and communist control of their of their states and their countries. This is what Ron DeSantis is doing. If you don't agree with him, you're on the chopping block. If you don't support him, you're going to be taking yeah, getting your rights. I, I think away. he's a small-minded, intellectually dishonest, uh, sexist, racist, homophobe, homophobic, xenophobic, uh, hate-spewing, dangerous dictator wannabe, which is what I always talk about with him <clears throat> and and his uh, 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 hero Trump. I think he's pure evil, uh, and I think he's Trump in wolf's clothing, which makes him more dangerous in a way than than Trump, because Trump is yep. just a freaking buffoon who speaks from the hip based on ego and, yep. and the moment, and, and DeSantis is very calculating, and he's learned. I think he's learning from Trump. He's taken all the good stuff, and he's not doing any of the bad stuff. And so he's, in a, like you say, he is more dangerous, and he is... I think ultimately, uh, potentially more um, uh, productive and successful. And as you said earlier, he he suspended uh, State Attorney Andrew Warren yesterday for refusing to prosecute prosecute violators uh, of the state's abortion ban. And he called Warren, and and this is the thing about um, DeSantis and those like him that really annoy me is that he called Warren, who who is also Jewish, Soros backed. Uh, 
Is this not so thinly veiled anti-Semitic trope just another example of of the fascist behavior? Yes, of course. You know, first of all, Andrew Warren is one of the most upstanding leaders that I have ever come across. Um, I have gotten to know Andrew since my time in office. And he is somebody who rolls up his sleeves and gets the job done. He, He works with our sheriff's office. He works with our local police. He works with the other side of the aisle. He works with our public defender. And he is truly a pillar of leadership in in that county. And the fact that he came in and stripped him of his authority and his power, because as a state attorney, you have the discretion of which cases you bring forward. That is literally your job. Just like Mayor Garland is going to have a decision to make whether or not to prosecute Trump. That is a decision that Merrick Garland is going to have to make. And the fact is that, right, to bring up Soros, and again, you know, again, another Jewish, you know, donor, I mean, I don't know Soros, and I don't, you know, but the, the regardless, but the fact to have brought that into this conversation, to say that he's another backed, you know, Soros candidate, um, and, and the funny thing is, is he keeps talking about, I, I saw some article or some email yesterday talking about, you know, outside state dollars, billionaires that are supporting, you know, Andrew Warren. Can we talk about the 42 billionaires that live outside the state of Florida that are giving money to Ron DeSantis? Yeah, it's all code. um, It's so obvious when they say these things. It's just code for Jew. You know, Andrew Warren, Jew, period. And that's... That speaks to, you know, the the millions of people out there who may not join the Oath Keepers or the the Proud Boys, but but, but think like them. And that's what gets them to the polls. We, we We had Nazis. We've had Nazis marching in our streets in Florida. I've seen the Twice in Orlando, videos, yeah. in Tampa, you know, in Tampa a week and a half ago. We've had propaganda that are, are going out to Jewish communities all in South Florida and Central Florida. And we have a governor who has said nothing, absolutely nothing. I had to go back to Tampa the, the day after the, those Nazis were out there and denounce them. And I have asked Ron to join yeah, he won't me, do it. That this should not be a Democrat Republican mm-hmm. issue, and he won't do it. So what does that say? And I and I have a very clear message to to my Jewish colleagues out here that I've had conversations with that think that Ron DeSantis is great. He is great for Israel. He is great for making sure that that our voucher programs. But at the end of the day, if he's not willing to stand mm-hmm. up for us, denouncing Nazis. I don't care how great he is on Israel. I don't care right. how much money he's giving to our private schools through the programs. If the fundamentals of who we are as Americans and who we are as Jews, we don't feel safe in our state. Well, the, the message seems to be getting lost on our fellow American Jews. And, and that message is we don't live in Israel. We live in the United States of America. And while we can sympathize and support and, you know, down to our hearts and core, you know, want Israel to be thriving and successful and and defending itself, this is where we live. And what's happened in this country in the last several years is not good for Jews or minorities or people of other genders. It's just, you know, that's the focus that people seem to be, uh, uh, that seems to be getting lost on people. But my my last question to you um, is a bit of a departure. Uh, I'm a big music fan. And uh, I think music is the window into our souls. And so I want to know uh, Nikki Freed's top five musical artists. Because that'll tell us who you really are. <laughs> well, I get very, so I'm very eclectic. 
So let's go off with. Oh, nice. Dead. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I got a little classic Pink rock in so far. And Zeppelin. You're on a roll. Yep. Classic rock. A little, you know, then, I, then I'm definitely mm-hmm. like an Eagles fan too. But then um, Halsey is also. Right. Um, got to so bring it into the bit, 2020s. <laughs> That's four. That's four. You got one more. So I'm all over the place. I, so I, I've got one more. So I always say this too. So I am a little bit of, you know, I, I've got some country in me too, but I mean, I'm all eclectic. And if I didn't say Dave Matthews, man, I think oh, that my you sister go. would actually. You know, I, sometimes I get a surprise answer when I ask this question. And I had uh, Representative Eric Swalwell on uh, early in the podcasts, uh, uh, p- podcast back in uh, June, I think. And his number, his first response was Taylor Swift. And I was, uh, yeah. And he said, he, he said, really? hey, I'm a Swifty. I, I may, I may have to. I may yeah, have he's to a, ask he's a Swifty, a self-described Swifty. <laughs> uh, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I have three daughters. I believe in 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 women and what they stand for and how they could help change this world. And if it was up to me, women would control everything. So I'm rooting for you down in Florida. Uh, I think we've had enough of old, rich, white men. Uh, it's time for women to be in state houses and governor's mansions and the White House, et cetera, et cetera. So good luck to you. 23rd, we'll be rooting for you, and uh, we'll, we hope you'll come back at some point. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on today. So there you have it, episode 10 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446 or email us at backroomandy at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Ostroy. Thank you, Maddie Rosenberg, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell, Andy Hollander. And a big thank you once again to our guest, Nikki Freed. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we will hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>